And for those of you that don't know my story very well, and especially for those of you from uh, Mexico, I think you'd find it interesting. My first language was Spanish. I didn't speak English till I was six years old. And that's when they told me I wasn't a Mexican. <laughs> Blew my Latino mind. Uh, my mother was, when I was born, my mother almost died. So she couldn't raise me. And I was raised by a Mexican nanny from Matamoros, Mexico, right across the border from Brownsville and McAllen, Texas. And I grew up in that valley. Grew up in Mexico in Central America. And uh, some years ago, during the uh, presidency of uh, President Cristiani in El Salvador during the Civil War down there, he called and asked if I would come and speak to every student in El Salvador. That's a big challenge. Well, it couldn't be done for all of them because some of the highlands were controlled by the rebels. But 90% of the student body of El Salvador was still in control area by the government. And instead of me going to each school, they marched all the schools to the soccer stadium and then I'd have 20, 30,000 students at a time in the bigger cities. And I shared my story and told them about Jesus. Oh, God, what a treat to be able to do that unrestrained, unrestricted by a man that really loved God, president of the nation of El Salvador. And, but I couldn't get to all the schools couldn't come together because some of the towns were so small and so remote, still under control of the government. Well, I went to one of them. There was a little girl there in the crowd of 1,500 students. She was on the back and I was on a state, a, a podium or platform that was just big enough for me and my translator, just two of us. And I mean, literally it was shoulder to shoulder then and you don't want to take a step backwards, you'll fall off the platform, it was that little. And there was a girl at the back and I, I speak Spanish still a little bit and on Pentecost Sunday you'll find it interesting that my Spanish really comes back to me when I get into Central America. Within a few weeks, I become fluent. But when I went to Vietnam, I had to learn Vietnamese so well that I could detect a northern accent from North Vietnam while I was operating in South Vietnam. And I could detect that accent, and I had to learn that language pretty well. Well, the problem was I started getting my personal pronouns in Spanish and Vietnamese all mixed up. And they'd look at me and they'd say, well, you're not speaking Vietnamese or you're not speaking Spanish. You're speaking in tongues. You're a Pentecostal. Even God had to have someone interpret. And I'm telling you that because on Pentecost Sunday, I, I, I do speak in other languages. I want you to know that. Never mind. But learning to speak English as a child and finding out I wasn't what I thought I was. I'm going to say that again. Finding out I was not what I thought I was. That moment of self-discovery, that happened when I was in the first grade. I was six years old, Bubba. And since then, I've had numerous times that I found out I was not what I thought I was. And whenever you're growing up in a household of faith, I never heard a curse word ever pass my dad's lips, much less my mom, and when she could still speak, she spoke into my life as much as she could. She had an innate knowledge, a sense of something is going to happen that's going to take her little bubba, her little boy away from her emotionally and physically and, and in connection for education. She knew that her time was short to give me all she could that I could learn. She's a very brilliant woman. Her dad was the uh, 
on the Supreme Court of the state of of uh, Arkansas. She she was valedictorian of her high school and college. Intelligent woman. Till I came along and and then her mind was destroyed. When she could still speak, she taught me so much. I remember asking her one day, Mom, what is life? I mean, when Huxley, Herman Hess, Socrates, they can't answer it. Who's mom going to answer it? You know, Mom, what is life? Freshman in college, I knew it all, and I knew that she didn't know. And she looked at me, she said, it's the absence of death. Do you want salt and pepper on these eggs? She's sitting in a wheelchair trying to cook me a breakfast with salt and pepper on eggs. I'm asking her what is life, and she answers it, and no one in my lifetime could ever answer it. It's the absence of death. Is there a better answer? And then I said, Mom, what is death? Uh, she said, uh, Son, what is death? I said, Mom, it's the absence of life. She said, No, it's the absence of Jesus, whom to know is life. Oh, <laughs> do you know him? Have you discovered him? When you do, it's a moment of self-discovery that is so drastic, it'll transform you from what you thought you were to what you ought to be. And Peter, on one occasion, when Jesus said, oh, you'll deny me at the crowing of a rooster, Peter said, not me. Jesus, this is Peter. If you ever need me, just call 1-800-P-E-T-E-R. I'll be right there. You know you can count on me. And at the job of a servant girl in the crowing of a rooster, Peter denied Christ three times and was so embarrassed and humiliated, he went over and sat down and wept what the Bible calls bitter tears in that moment of self-discovery when he wasn't the man he thought he was. I grew up thinking I was a pretty tough kid. I played football a little bit in the ninth grade, a little bit, one down. It hurt so bad I quit and joined the band and watched the other kids get hurt. Why should I sacrifice my body? I was a tough kid, I thought. Whenever I was married, I thought, well, my life now is under control. I've got a wife. I'm, I'm going to college. I'm going to be a pastor. My life's in control. I have my destiny, my future. I know what it is. I'm planning. And in one moment, opening one letter from a, I have a, an uncle that's really, really wealthy. And uh, he just insisted that I go to work for him. His name is Sam. And it was my draft notice to go take a physical. I wrote back. I said, dear uncle, I feel great. Thanks for inquiring about my health. It didn't work. He insisted I take that physical, which I didn't. It's the only exam in college I passed that whole semester. I studied all night for the blood test. <laughs> That's a bad joke. I'm sorry. I passed my physical because my trigger finger still worked. And the next morning when I was supposed to show up and swear in, I didn't show up. I, and I don't judge me yet way you hear it all. When I was supposed to be swearing into the Army, I was signing every piece of paper under the ballpoint pen the Navy recruiter gave me. I joined the Navy so I wouldn't get hurt in the military. I got up that morning and had a bad decade. When I joined the Navy, I thought I'd see the world on some ship. I've never been on a ship. I served in the Navy in Vietnam eight months on a little riverboat made of fiberglass. You can shoot a pistol through the side of that thing. How's that for armor? 
250 calibers up in the front, one in the back. Those are anti-aircraft guns on a 31-foot-long 30, boat, 11 half feet wide. No place to run, no place to hide. But they trained us, and they made us run 8 to 15 miles a day. You ever see a fat man run? I lost so much weight, I had to tease the hair on my legs to keep my socks up. I was skinny as a rail. I mean, I started, 15 minutes after we were through running, I was still jiggling all over. I was fat. And but I lost that weight, and I became strong, and I thought, I'm tough. I can make it. We can do this. But in one moment, one moment, opening one letter or pulling the trigger at the wrong time or pulling the pin on a hand grenade and a sniper putting you in his crosshairs, one moment, one little tick of the clock, and your life can be changed so drastically, your destiny is altered so immediately, you become confused, lost, suffering and confusion and pain. A sniper shot at me and he missed. He was shooting at my head, but he hit my hand, which was right beside my head, and I was holding a white phosphorus grenade. It burns at 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit, and the bullet went through my hand and detonated the grenade right here. And in one second, just that one tick of a clock, my life changed. And I found out again I was not the man I thought I was. When that grenade exploded, all the tough of Dave Reaver went up in smoke. Out of the ashes, that song said, out of the ashes, my life had to come back out of the ashes of my own skin and flesh. That morning, in competition with a Navy SEAL, I was working out, and I weighed, and he weighed. I weighed exactly 190 pounds that morning. I was in the peak of health. I was 5, 11 and a half inches tall, in the best condition I've ever been in in my life, 190 pounds. That afternoon, they weighed what was left of my body. It was 130 pounds. 60 pounds of my flesh was blown off my body. I kept both legs and both arms. That was body flesh. I looked down when that grenade blew, and I could see my heart beating. That's how I knew I wasn't dead. And I'm going to get through this quickly because there's so much more I want to say to you that's beyond the story of Dave Reaver. Because this is not the story of Dave Reaver. This is the story of Jesus Christ in the life of Dave Reaver. Because if you take him out and what I'm about to expose to you and tell you, there is no story to tell. It's nothing more than a tragedy. It's rats on broken glass. There is nothing good without Christ. Have I made that clear to you this morning? This is not going to work without Jesus. So let's just give it up for Jesus right now and now. Amen. Amen. When the grenade blew... It blew off my face. Everything not covered was blown off. If it's covered, it was second-degree burning because my clothing caught fire. What, what clothing was not blown off, everything shadowed by my head was on fire. Everything not shadowed was blown off. And I couldn't see my face. I didn't understand the, de the, the depth of, of injury yet. I just knew when I looked down and saw my heart beating, it wasn't good. And... I heard this spirit in my mind say, no audible voice, in my right ear. Everything not covered was blown off, so my ear was gone. My hair was gone. I got my hair back. 
I bought it. <laughs> There's a bald guy in Wuhan. <laughs> Came from China. We're going to get even. I'm never going to give his hair back. I don't mind the hair piece. I just hate chasing it across church parking lots on windy Sundays. That's happened. I don't mind the plaque. Matter of fact, last year and the year before, I was celebrating my nose. You remember that? Some of you might remember. Because <clears throat> now almost six years ago, I didn't have a nose. It was blown off. I just had this little piece right here, size of my fingerprint. That's all I had. Everything else was gone, and it was all laid over, and, and my mouth was inverted, and I drooled all the time. My eyelids were gone. They were blown off, and I was a mess. I scared little kids, and I didn't mean to. Ah, I do that sometimes when I meant to. <laughs> if you can't send, win them for Christ, scare the devil out of them, then you got them one way or the other. Yeah. But my ear, when they said, now we can make you a nose and eyelids and an ear, I said, no, 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 no. Leave my ear. It's plastic. It's artificial, and I love it. It's so much fun because I leave it in places, and I listen to what y'all say about me when I'm gone. That was a joke, too. This is not a joke. I was preaching in Jamaica one night. 10,000 people, all of them did the same thing at the same time, covered their mouth, pointed at me, wide-eyed, sucking air like a hoover. <gasps> I'm checking my fly because something's not right, okay? You understand? man's got to do what a man, you know. My fly was fine. I look around, and when I did, out of the corner of my eye, I saw my ear had fallen off, and it was laying on my shoulder. You can't ignore it. They're not breathing. You're going to have Jonestown without the grape Kool-Aid if you don't do something quick. I grabbed my ear. I dried the sweat. I stuck it back on. They thought it was a miracle, and they all got saved that day. That is a true story. Well, you got, you know, when the devil hits you with a stick, take the stick away from him and beat him all over the face of the earth with it. Take it get a stick and hit the devil. Amen. Well, my stick is built in a cross, and that's the stick I use on him. Because that day in July of 1969, he, yes, teenager, right after the War of 1812, I heard what you thought. That day, the devil thought he had me down. He figured it's over for this boy. I got him. Nothing, nothing can pluck you out of the hand of God. Nothing. No hand grenade. No devil in or out of hell. You belong to Jesus. Don't jump. That's the only way you're getting out. Don't jump, for heaven's sake. Stay in the hand of God. Amen. Let's give the Lord a clap off. Don't jump. Stay secure. Well, that day when I jumped, it wasn't out of the hand of God. I jumped off my boat into the water, and I found out that phosphorus that had taken off half my skin now and was stuck to me like glue, it burns in water. You can't extinguish it. And in the water, I'm still burning. And my skin was floating all around me. I was beside myself. <laughs> That's funny right there. I don't care who you are. You have to think about that. Never mind. I was beside myself. Does that help? No, it didn't. So <laughs> I had to swim through my own skin. I had to swim through that to get to the bank of the river. And I fell over backwards, and they all thought I died, and they brought in a helicopter to pick me up. And they rolled me on the stretcher thinking I'm dead. I was still burning, and the stretcher caught fire, and I fell through on my head. It was one of those days when nothing goes right. 
and they rolled me up in wet blankets, and you're about to hear. See, I haven't talked about pain. This is the next discovery of the man I thought I was not being the man I thought I was. When the pain hit in that helicopter, I was in shock, and the water kept me alert. Instead of passing out, I was forced by, in, into consciousness by being in that water. But in that helicopter, the pain hit, and there is not a word in any language I've heard or the few languages I speak, I've never found a word to describe these pains. The pain of being burned, the pain of being debrided, and the pain of losing your spouse. Those are the three greatest pains I've ever known in my life. And I was about to find that first one. And when it hit, I let out a scream, medic. And when I did, he almost jumped out of the helicopter. It scared him so bad. The pilot lost control. We're dropping like a rock. I thought, oh, Lord, we're going to crash. I'll be the only survivor. <laughs> I want you to read what's left of my lips. Read them. Listen to me. It's not over till God says it's over. It's not. Did you know? They listed me as killed in action because when I was loaded in that helicopter, my chain of command sent word to the Pentagon he was killed in action, and they had a body to prove it. In the helicopter, they found out I wasn't dead, but they never let my crew members know that it was too late. They'd already informed the Pentagon. Thirty-four years later, the President of the United States sent me a letter of apology. <laughs> you ain't dead yet, Brother Dave. <laughs> Something to that effect. And God had a plan for my life, just like he has a plan for you. When I mentioned that book in my autobiography, The One Scarred, that's the whole point, is God's plan for your life that started with the moment of conception when that little fish that made it up the canal was you, and you are the one God saw that day and said, that is my child and I don't believe we should abort that baby. I don't believe we should take that life. And if you don't like that, talk to God about it. Because I'm telling you, it is not right to take the life of a child. God has a destiny for every one of us in this room from the moment of conception. Give the Lord a clap. Offer. So they got me to Saigon and then to Japan. And in Japan, I did something stupid. I asked for a mirror. They did something stupid. They brought it. And when I saw what was left, my mind went back to the promise I made to a little teenage girl who had become my wife. I met her when I was 16, asked her to marry me when I was 16. She slapped me. She was 13. <laughs> she said, I'm only 13 years old. I said, but you have the body of a 14-year-old. That was not the thing to say. She slapped me again. You thought I was injured in the war. You, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. The last thing I said to her was, I'll be back without a scar. I could have just said, I'll be back. Then I could be famous and be governor of California. And everybody in California could move to Idaho. <laughs> I got some Californians on the front row right now. I've got two of the sweetest people in the world, Ron and Ruthie. Canella, I want you all to stand. Would you stand and welcome my family from California that moved here some years ago? I salute you. You would not know. 
and you can be seated, you would not know that this man bears in his body to this day the bullets. He bears in his body and in his memory and in his mind the suffering for this country's freedom as a Marine, as a contractor, back into Helmand Province, Homeland Security, Customs, whatever you do. I, I don't even, and he'll never tell me all of it. One of the greatest men that has ever served our country sitting on your front row. I love you, Ronnie. I love you, Ruthie. And you would not know that in the horror of horrors and all the suffering this man's already known and gone through, he would discover he was not the man he thought he was several months ago when his son and his little grandson were killed in an accident. He lost them both. But he never blamed God. <laughs> That's amazing. But you discover through suffering, listen, you, you discover through suffering the things that you would never know otherwise. Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. So for those that say, well, if you're suffering, you sinned. Talk to Jesus about that. Tell him where he sinned. Thank you for still loving me. Suffering is not the reason that God did something bad to you so he could have a reason to find out what you're made of. He knows what we're made of. In the Gospel of John, the Bible says, he needs not that any should testify of man, for he knows what's in man and woman. And that's a real challenge because nobody really knows what's in a woman but God. <laughs> oh, boy, does Bryce, uh, does Ryan have a, he, oh, he got married last night, but he's about to have the discovery of his life. <laughs> That's good, Dave Reaver. Preach on, buddy. Oh, God doesn't need to test us to find out so he knows what's in us. It's us discovering what's in ourselves. We are tested so we know what we're made of. And whenever you shake your hand in the face of God, well, I mean, God, you got it all wrong. Don't ask that question. What if he answered you? I don't know, George. There's just something about you I don't like. We are seldom what we think we are. And I love what our brother said, that color and, and origin of country means nothing. I love the story of the black preacher and the white preacher who were arguing over what color is God. And God is so imaginative. A bus ran over and killed them both. And they popped up at the pretty gates. And a booming voice cried out and said, My name is Diaz. Como esta? You can take that back home with you. Get to heaven, we all speak Spanish like we ought to together. When you discover you know what you thought you were, it's embarrassing, it's struggling, but when you come out of that, you're a better man, a better woman through suffering. I don't advocate it. Don't go stand in front of a city bus and get run over so God can give you a testimony. I've had all the testimony I can stand. I don't want any more testimony. In fact, there's a scripture I have. And it comes from Psalm 9, 11. 
How's that? So I'm going I'm to read your scripture from 9-11. It's really something I think you'll enjoy. I'm going to read it from the King James, and then I'm going to read it from a part from a Bible. It's not really a Bible. It's in translation, not even translation. It's called the Message Bible. That's really just a great way to read the Bible, but I don't trust it for theology because it, the language is too modern. But the, for theological purposes, I usually go back to the King James because that was a really original translation. It's a lot better for that. It's okay to do that, isn't it? So I'm reading from King James. Sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. Verse 12, when he maketh inquisition for blood, he remembereth them. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble which I suffer of them that hate me. That's the King James Version. Now, let me read. I just love this from the Message Bible. For fun, for fun's sake, you can read it, but don't lean on it. All right? Is that good enough to put it that way? Sing your song to a Zion-dwelling God. Tell his stories to everyone you meet, how he tracks down killers, that he keeps his eye on us. He registers every whimper and moan. Be kind to me, God. I've been kicked around long enough. Now, with that statement, I ask you, are you in a 9-11 today? Are you being kicked around and you've reached your limit? Believe me, I know that feeling. And there's a way out. And it's not with a trigger. It's not with a razor blade. It's not with a rope. It's with hope. Back in the hope of Christ Jesus. If we have hope in Christ in this life only, we're of all men most miserable, but our hope is in Christ Jesus and the world to come. Oh, since I last saw you, I've suffered, but I've grown in the Lord. It's been one of the best years of my life. I've learned to lean on Jesus. I've learned to cook. I don't cook well, but my first attempt, I set my house on fire. I, I thought it was two pounds of bacon, not two strips of bacon. And I put it all in there, and it caught fire, and it was a big fire. And it set off all the alarms and, and smoke damage. Oh, it's terrible. I got the fire out. And then I had to learn how to, to cook. With, you take it already cooked from Walmart, and then you put it in the microwave. And don't count past 20. And then check it. And you know what? I found out how to wash my clothes. I found out you have to shut that door all the way. Or five hours later, nothing has happened. <laughs> and the guy I paid $35 to come fix my washer laughed at me when he pushed it and it clicked. <laughs> so, Mr. Reeve, you have to close the door. See, I've learned a lot. Paris Hilton's the only one that needs more attention than me. And if you don't know who she is, forget it, that's a bad joke. I'm gonna tell you something, folks. I discovered this year I wasn't the man I thought I was. We continue to grow every day. Destiny is where we're going. Pardon me, destination is where we're going. Destiny is how we go about getting there. And along the way, in the middle of our suffering, God will give us something that is life transforming and revolutionary. And I'm going to ask for some help 
from somebody that plays the guitars up here. I would like to have a guitar and a mic stand that can hold a mic. Can someone help me with that? I need the guitar that's the acoustic. Thank you. Look at you jog. I can do that. And then I wake up. Oh, boy. And I'll, I'll actually move. Some of you wonder why I'm sitting, if we've not been acquainted before now. In 2010, I was in Iraq with a special operation, and I jumped out of a helicopter, and my feet went out in the sand, and I hit so hard on my backside, I broke six vertebrae. The doctor said use the word crushed, six vertebrae. And I went paralyzed. I lost the use of my left leg completely. And they went in and they put in 12 screws and two rods in my back, which made me an inch taller than I used to be, go figure. They fixed the nerve damage, but the muscle damage has never been repaired. Oh, yeah. Nah. Well, if it, it may, I might help to have a little amplification. So, yeah, that'll work. Can you hold the mic? Can you put that on me? Can you jump on one foot? <laughs> you are. Might have to. Oh, that's right. It's right there. My right arm. There you go. All right. All right. Down. I'm sorry I'm doing it, but I didn't want anybody to know what I was going to do because they might say no. <laughs> it's easier to get forgiveness than permission. Now, do you have a mic stand that'll hold that or are you it? All right, I'll hold this while you get the stand. This is going to take just another second, but I want to be the illustration of my own message. Do I look good in a guitar? Well, thank you. I looked, I, I, after getting my nose and everything, Everybody said, Dave, you're looking good. But I haven't yet got anybody to say, Dave, you're good looking. <laughs> Thank you. That's perfect. Is that all? Will he crank it up up there or do you turn it on here? Oh, there you go. I knew that. I was checking to see if you knew. <laughs> that ought to work. Now, when I was 12 years old, my dad bought me a guitar. I still have it. It's a Gibson Electric, one of the first... Gibson Electrics ever built that it was used when I got it and uh, I had it evaluated in 1979 I think and it was worth $75,000 that's how priceless it is that's the guitar I play and that day in Vietnam when the grenade exploded these three fingers and thumb were hanging down here by tendons this is the only finger left that worked the blast went by my head but my head shadowed the back of my hand, but it took off my thumb on my left hand. That's not my thumb. That's part of my hip. They made my, they made my thumb out of my hip. Don't suck your hip. That's what I tell children. And they just look at me. Anyway, I played the guitar from the age of 12. And on the bank of the river, in the middle of all this pain that I didn't feel, but my body knew something was wrong, right? I just wasn't translating it into feeling, but it was a traumatic moment. Half my skin now has been blown off me. These fingers are dangling. I'm pumping blood out of an open artery. And a guitar pops right up in front of me. I am hallucinating, and it's right there. I knew I could touch it. 
and I spoke to the guitar. Now listen to what I'm going to tell you. I spoke to that guitar, and I said these exact words as Jesus Christ is my witness. Unaltered, these are the exact words. Guitar, I will play you again. So I'm looking at these fingers dangling. Guitar, I will play you again. Lisa LeBrum, you will be healed in Jesus' name. You speak to the things and the people and the hurt and the moment in life as though it were when it's not. You say it. You don't say it. Well, it's like the little kid that told a friend of mine who preached so hard, and he preached himself into a headache, and this little kid said, how you doing, Brother Rich? He said, oh, man, I got a headache. No, you do not have a headache. You do, you do not have a headache. You do not. And he said, okay, okay, you're not fat. <laughs> and the little kid walked off mad. There's a time to be real about this when it's the exercise of faith in Christ speaking through you. And I said, guitar, I'll play you again. Now, fast forward a year later at Brook Army Medical Center. I'm healing to the degree that they have got my fingers back on my hands. And even though they're crooked and they don't work, I can still hold a microphone. And they said I was 100% permanently totally disabled and unemployable, but I hold that microphone because I'm employable. I don't let the world define me. I let Jesus define me. I said, Dave Reaver, you're a preacher of the gospel. You will not be denied your destiny. And so my little teenage wife goes home one day and brings my guitar back. And I'm coming back from therapy, and I'm in the wheelchair all laid out almost flat. I'm, let me tell you, therapy is when the doctor hurts you more than what put you in there in the first place. And then they have the audacity to charge you. Well, I'm laid back, and I could see under the bed, and I could see her just smiling, that little darling, smiling so big, so proud of herself, bringing my guitar up. I saw the guitar under the bed. I was in so much pain from therapy. I looked at my crooked hands, and I knew I would never play that guitar again. I looked at her, and that was the meanest thing in 54 years of marriage I ever said to her. I said, you and that guitar, get out. And she looked at me, and she said, no. Where's all that godly woman submit yourself to your husband's stuff when you need it? Well, I got all godly, and I said, yes. And she said, no. Five minutes later, I said, yes, not a word spoken, but no and yes and no. And for an hour and 45 minutes to the end of visiting hours, yes and no. And they came and said, Miss Brenda, you have to go. And she got up to leave, and on the way out, she said, no. And I said, yes. Got the last word until I heard the elevator door ding and I heard down the hall, no. That's the girl I married. And I want you to hear. It was some day after that, and I can't count them because I lost track of days and year. That guitar cried out to me one evening, play me. <laughs> I could hear it under the bed, play me. 
I crawled out of the bed, opened it up. There was the guitar with a little note. You can do it, Davy. She always believed in me. When I did not believe in myself. She loved me when I hated myself. She gave me life when I was trying to take it. The doctors called her my scab picker because when they quit and they said, there's nothing more we can do, she said, I can finish this for you. She kept me alive. She was my reason to live so many ways. And that guitar with that, no, oh, I can't not do this. So I took the guitar and I went out on the fire escape and I made my first chord. That's what it sounded like. And I don't know if I can get any volume on this. That's what it sounded like. You'll have to help me up there. I need a little bit more volume because I want you to hear it. Can you hear that? Nothing. You know why there was nothing? Because they didn't give me my thumb yet. You have to squeeze that thing. I couldn't squeeze that thing. And, and I heard that voice say, you'll never play that guitar. Where's the voice? I'll play you again. It had to be resurrected. And I thought, I'll go back to from the bar chord that's called, because your finger lays across all the strings like a bar, and then you build the chord behind it, or if you choose to say in front of it. I remembered the first, I call them country chords, the easy little chords you can make without having to use bar chords. And look, no thumb required. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound Saved a wretch like me I once was lost But now I'm found I was blind But now I see And when we've been there Ten thousand years By shining as the sun We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Oh, yeah. I got to tell you, I heard the same thing. People clapping and cheering and whistling. I thought, whoa, what an imagination. And then I realized it wasn't. There were, pe there were people screaming, shouting, more, more, more. I looked up. It was the guys above us, and my voice was resonating to that entire wing of the hotel as I played the guitar and sang Amazing Grace. And then I realized... Those guys up there all, that was a psych ward. God bless them. It was french fries. More, more french fries. So I left that hospital with suitcase in one hand and guitar in the other. I usually say sweetheart in the other, but really it was the guitar. And we went on the road together, and I played the guitar and sang. It was the beauty and the beast is what I told him. I said, boy, you're about to get a performance. And she'd sing with me as I sang. Heaven sounding sweeter 
all the time Seems like lately it's always on my mind Someday I'm gonna leave this world behind Heaven is sounding sweeter all the time Life has been so good I can't complain When I'm down God gives me strength and I rise again When I'm weary with the struggle of it all Then I listen Oh how I listen for his call Heaven is sounding sweeter All the time Seem like lately It's always on my mind Someday I'm gonna leave this world behind Heaven Sound is sweeter all the time. Now look, you can have better singers and guitar pickers. Take away their thumbs, curl up their fingers, and burn their vocal cords. See if they're as good as Dave Reaver. And don't you forget it. The sword of the Lord and of Gideon, the guitar of the Lord and Dave Reaver playing it. You can do all things through Christ, and you don't have to be better than somebody else. Just be your best, and that's what God's looking for. That's, what, that's your destiny. One more little song. I believe in the Father I believe in the Son I believe in the Holy Spirit I believe in the three in one You can laugh if you want to Friend, it won't bother me my blessed hope is in Jesus Cause he means the world to me Creo yo en el Padre Creo yo en Jesucristo Creo yo en el Espíritu Santo Creo en la Trinidad Thank you. Thank you for letting me just be Dave. A lot of churches, they put a pedestal up there. I don't want a pedestal. I don't even want a podium. They get in the way. 
I just want that anointing of the Spirit of God that breaks the yoke and transforms us from what we are to what we ought to be. From one who, Jesus said, gave the keys of the kingdom and said, now, this is the keys. What sort of things you bound on earth be bound in heaven? And Peter, the very one who said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you remember in Matthew there, Jesus said, Flesh and blood didn't tell you that. Jesus was there in flesh and blood. Jesus wasn't the one that told him that. Did, are you listening? Jesus said, Flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but the Father in heaven revealed it. In other words, Peter, you are the mouthpiece of God. Am I, am I saying that right? Anybody want to correct me? Correct me if you, if you think I'm wrong. Jesus said, flesh and blood hath not revealed it to thee, but the Father which is in heaven. You're the mouthpiece of God. Now listen carefully. A few minutes later, Jesus said, now don't tell anybody you know who I am. Why? Because when Jesus said, to whom do men say that I am? They said, some say you're Jeremiah, Elijah, one of the prophets. And Jesus said, who do you say I am? That the Christ, the Son, living God. That flesh and blood that not revealed it. When Jesus said, I'll suffer and be killed and be raised the third day. Peter said, no, you won't. No, you're not. What did Jesus do when he said, I'll suffer, be killed, and be raised? That's called good news. It's that last one. It's not good news to suffer. It's not good news to be killed. It's really good news to be raised again. Amen? So Jesus gave them the gospel, and Peter said, you will not do it. It shall not be so. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. This is the same guy that flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee. My no wonder Jesus said, don't tell anybody you know me. Until you get it right, you're the mouthpiece of the devil and the mouthpiece of God. And when he doesn't know what's coming out of your mouthpiece, keep it shut. Do you still love me? Thank you to all seven of you. I'm trying to make a point. That moment of self-discovery. Peter discovered it on the porch. And there when he wept those bitter tears of self-discovery. He had tried to be a good preacher. He was so insecure, he went to the house of a soldier, a centurion. He went to his house, and he took six people with him so he could be sure he would have an audience. That's how insecure. He had to take his own audience with him. And yet, after he was baptized in the Holy Ghost on that day of Pentecost, he preached and 3,000 got saved that day. Are you listening? When he opened his mouthpiece, it wasn't Peter preaching. It wasn't the devil saying no. It was Jesus Christ in his Holy Spirit utilizing that mouthpiece. And by the baptism of the Holy Ghost, he spoke the words of God with truth and power. And that's what will transform Caldwell, Idaho. It ain't you. It ain't me. It's not my books. It's not my shirts. It's not my stuff. And when I've read the Bible, and I'll just be honest with you, I've read it through in the last year and a half, four times, word for word, and three times through, I never caught what I did on the fourth time reading it word for word. Don't think you can do it 
When you get up at 3.30 every morning, read till 8. You can do it every day of your life. You can read it. Word for word. You know what I read? So you read the scripture because you think they're in. You find eternal life. I close the Bible and said, oh, boy. And if you didn't catch what I just said, that's what happens to most people who read the Bible. They skim it over and don't get it. Get this and don't ever forget it. You can read the Bible. You can memorize it word for word. But if you don't learn what that written word is talking about in the living word himself, if that written word about Jesus is not revealed in him personally in your life and what it's called the mystery of God likeness or godliness that Christ dwelleth in our body in our mortal body he dwells in our mortal body this morning he wears size 46 pants he wears size 12 shoes what size is he wearing with you don't tell you, don't say it out loud we're trying not to lie in the house of God See, that's the mystery of God likeness that Jesus by his Holy Spirit literally dwells in us. So the value of the day of Pentecost that we celebrate on this Sunday, the value of it is we become an authorized mouthpiece of God himself. In no way is God saying, keep your mouth shut. He's saying, open it and talk about it. Come on, let's go ahead and give it up for Jesus and his spirit that's in us out. So I want to close. But you need to hear the rest of the story, Paul Harvey. I share it everywhere I go, even though I've been there before and shared some of the things you've already heard. This you must hear again. Closing events. They got me to Japan. I saw myself in the mirror, and I lost my hope. I thought they could never put me back together again, and the promise broken when I said I'll be back without a scar hurt more than the image with no face. No hands, just fingers hanging. I'm going to tell you something. That broken promise meant more to me than I can ever tell you. And I lost my hope. I tried to take my life. I had no gun. had no knife. So I just pulled out the tube. And when I pulled it out, I laid my head back and I waited to die with no hope. No hope. I don't know how God would judge that. That's not, I'm not here to talk about that. I'm going to tell you I lost my hope. And when you lose your hope, there's a thousand ways to die, but there's only one way to live. Get your hope back in Jesus. That's the only way to, to survive. I lost it. I laid my head back and I waited to die. And I, I got hungry. <laughs> it's the wrong tube. I found my hope in Jesus. Not that day. I wasn't through with that darkness of suicide. I, I held on to that, unfortunately, until the day they rolled me into that room and there stood that little teenage wife. She bit down and kissed what was left of my face. And she said, I just want you to know, I really love you. Welcome home, Davey. I said, I'm sorry, I can't ever look good for you again. She said, Davy, you never were good looking. My hope came back. And I've never tried to take my life, and the devil's tempted me. He tried just the other day. I was at the Holly Coa, Rick, at the Holly Coa. I know y'all are watching. 
was at the Holly Co on the 14th floor in this beautiful general's quarters. And the devil said, you can jump and in just three or four seconds, 10 seconds at the most, you can be with your wife. You'll be together again. I said, devil, you're as stupid as you've ever been. Don't you know I'm scared of heights? I couldn't jump off the first floor balcony. It scared me so bad. I went about jump 14 floors up. No, not only is that bridge underwater, that water is behind me. There's no more thoughts of taking my life. The devil tried, but he didn't get, he'd never get close again. You see, here's the point. You got to finish the race to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. If you don't finish, you don't hear it. You got to finish, and you got to finish well. I want to cross that finish line. Well done. Well, I, that really does concern me a little. When you're burned, you don't want to hear well done. You'd rather hear, Dave, you're rare. Come on in. Why can't we laugh? Don't you see when you got Jesus, you've got the joy of the Lord. You've got the joy of the Lord. The devil made his biggest error when he thought he's going to take me out of the hand of God. He'll never get me out of the hand of God. I ain't jumping. I'm here where I belong and where I'll stay until he lifts me into his presence in that glory. And then I could see Brenda, but I got to tell you, when she got there and threw her arms around him, I think I overheard her say, Dave, who? She's not missing me. She's never been so happy. I've never been so lost when she ran off with another man. <laughs> And when I found out his name, Jesus, and his place, heaven, I'm okay with that. See, destiny is how you go about getting where you're going. The destination is our goal. Destiny is following that will of God every day of your life through the pain, through the loss, through the emptiness. I don't have notes, and I haven't said one thing to you that's written down from somebody else. Every word's come from here. And if you have understood me this morning, and I'm really not this emotional, Pastor, it's the same carpet last year. It made, I'm allergic. I water up every time I come here. You do too. You, I, you're allergic, I saw. But don't lose it. Don't lose it. I was in the eighth month in the intensive care unit. Pardon me, fourth month, eight months in Vietnam, and the fourth month in, v in the hospital, out of a year and two months, the first four months I was still in the ICU. And I was so, I was so angry because even though that my, my hope was restored, I was, I was at a point, I had not shed a tear for 12 months, listen to me, 12 months. Eight months after the first body count, the second week in Vietnam, eight months in Vietnam, four months in the hospital, no tears, not one. And it was getting worse. I was dry. I was like a dry spirit wandering in the desert. And with this, I closed. Listen carefully. She was a black lady, and she walked up to me. Her hands were pink because the pigment of her skin was, was lost when she got burned on her hands. She raised a little pink hand, and she said, Hi there. I knew she's from the South right then. I didn't say a word. I wasn't prejudiced. I hated everybody equally that day. It was my first day to sit up, and everything in me hurt, and my rear end hurt so bad. It had not been set on anything. I had laid for eight, for four months. I had laid, and now my first day, everything hurt. Hi there. I didn't say a word. She walked by me, and she attacked me from the rear. 
she came up behind and took that pink hand. It was black before it got burned, and she laid it on this pink shoulder. It was white before it got burned. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that cool? We're all pink. We're just wrapped in different colors. Isn't that neat? Oh, you didn't know God is pink? Oh, yeah, yeah. What what'd you think? Well, you heard. Winners did. almost He God is pink. He's from Miami. You know what that woman did? She put one hand on me and plugged the other hand in about 440 volts of Jesus Christ. And for the first time in 12 months, I heard a language I could not understand uttered by the mouth of a woman I didn't know. And every word was understood by God Almighty. And when she started praying in the Spirit, water burst out of my eyes. For the first time, tears ran down my face. The healing. 60 surgeries later, the last one, the week before COVID, in March of 21, 60 surgeries later, still trying to put me back together. That one would put me back together, spiritually and emotionally, in just a matter of seconds. That's the power that Peter preached with. That's the anointing that's in this house. That's the reality of the God we serve, who by His Spirit sets us free and free we are indeed amen amen Woo. boy I kept you late <laughs> hey if you want to get on your feet and give it up for Jesus let's do that right now it ain't about me it's the whole thing's about him blessed be the name of the Lord blessed be the name of the Lord thank you Lord hey sit back down Pastor is going to come in just a moment. Uh, I, I, I want to do something before I surrender the mic. I want to pray for you. I'd like to lead you in a prayer to know Christ. I'm an evangelist, folks. Please don't deny me this privilege. And some of you are so tired. Yesterday, you worked till midnight this morning. I, I apologize. But if you can endure this with me, you may never ask me back this old long-winded windbag up here. I'm going to tell you something. Let, let me just obey God. If you're in this house and you're struggling in your faith, you're in the middle of your 911, you're tired of being kicked around. There's a, there's a God in Zion today. And he is your deliverer. He's your healer. This last year has been one of the hardest years of my entire life. Give me 10 Vietnams, but give me my wife back. And that's not going to happen, so I'm, I'm dealing with all that. And the Lord told me, suck it up, buttercup. You're not the only one that lost your lover. Get over it and stay on course and quit feeling sorry for yourself. He does not coddle those that need to be told the truth. Do you hear me? I'm going to tell you the truth. You're going to hell without Jesus. You need Jesus in your life. And I'm going to make this as easy for you as I possibly can. I just came last week, or actually a week before I've been, but the week we started this tour, I just closed our session with our warriors at our ranch in Colorado. Every couple that was going through divorce and separation that came, that filled that lodge, not one couple, no exception, every one of them renewed their vows to God and each other. Every marriage was restored. Every one of them. I'm going to tell you, 
If I ask you to renew your vows this morning, it's just a short ceremony, very short. Not, it's not like last night, which was one of the greatest presentations in marriage vows. And the giveaway of the bride was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in a wedding in my life. And I'm 75, and I've been to every wedding everybody ever had in all of eternity. That one was, that one take, that's number one in ever, I've ever seen. It's a short one. We're going to renew our vows, returning, as it were, to our first love. And as we renew our vows, those of you that need to make your vows, let your voice blend with ours. And let this, this chorus of voice, voices include you and make your vows to Jesus and come to know Christ before you walk out that door. And we'll do this right now. Heads up, eyes open. You don't have to buy your heads if you don't want to. It's really simple. You want to stand to do it? I love it. Let's stand to do this. This is in honor that we will be in marriage to the glorious, wonderful bridegroom. Are you ready? Out loud. Lord Jesus. Oh, that's what I'm looking for. Lord Jesus. I came to your house by your invitation. And you're here. I know your presence. I feel it even into my bones. And I am brought to this reality. I have failed you. I'm a sinner born that way. And I hate that stuff. But today, I recognize you came to set sinners free. And I ask you to deliver me. Place me firmly in your hand, O oh God. As I make this confession and this vow, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died and rose from the dead. You gave yourself for me. Then you gave yourself to me. And by faith I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of all my sins. Without exception, all of my sin. And by faith, I declare you have done that as the Son of God to this broken vessel. I am now filled by your presence, Jesus. Send me your Holy Ghost on this day of Pentecost. Fill me to overflowing with tongues of fire. Let me preach by my life <laughs> that those will come to know you because today I am now married to the Son of God and my name is written in the guest book and in the handbook and in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. Give the Lord a clap offering in this house. Whoa, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.